Um, we are in Matthew's Gospel. We're going to continue our study on the, the words of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. Just to give you a real quick heads up where we're going, uh, after this is concluded, we're going to have our Advent series clearly between Thanksgiving and, uh, and Christmas. Uh, we'll be looking at our spiritual family tree out of uh, Matthew chapter 1. Then after the first of the year, we're just going to keep right on going in Matthew. We're going to turn our attention from the works of Jesus, or excuse me, from the words of Jesus to the works of Jesus. So we're going to look at, at some of uh, his miracles uh, leading up to his miraculous uh, and, and substitutionary death on the cross for us, his resurrection at Easter. And then between Easter and the, the end of the school year, we're going to be looking at the church of Jesus. So we're going to be doing some self-examination uh, as Green Tree is, gets ready to go into transition uh, and move into a new phase of our life. So we're going from the words of Jesus to the works of Jesus to the church of D- Jesus. And I'll remind you about that as the time gets closer. But this morning we're in chapter 7. Uh, the first six verses we're going to read in just a minute. I was writing in a devotional uh, last year, and I wrote this phrase, and it kind of hung in my head, uh, especially as I'm thinking about this morning. The greatest sin of our society is passing judgment on another. Uh, we have become a, a culture in which tolerance across the board uh, is, the, uh, is the, the rule of the day. So you have the proverbial pot calling the kettle black. Uh, and asking the question, you know, who are you to judge? Uh, maybe someone has said that to you before. You know, who do you think you are that you can judge me? Maybe someone, maybe you've said that to someone else. Maybe someone has challenged you on an issue in your life or confronted you about something. Uh, and maybe even if they did it lovingly, uh, your response was, now wait a minute, who are you to judge me? Well, clearly that's the culture we live in, but what about judgment within the church? What does that look like? How should the Christian community, those who claim to be disciples of Jesus, how should we approach this notion of judgment? Because I've certainly heard Christians say, and I've been guilty of saying before, uh, who are you to judge me? Uh, Are we living by the same uh, outline, the same paradigm of the world, or should there be Some difference. That's a question we want to tackle this morning. In short, what does Jesus say about this matter? So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Follow along in your Bible, your your iPad, or your phone, or on the screen here. Hear the word of God. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, Judge not that you be not judged. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. As obscure as that last verse may be, this is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we come before you this morning in worship. Father, we come into worship this morning, a couple hundred folks, a lot of different things on our minds. 
lot of different experiences last week. A lot of things which we are anticipating this coming week. Some of us are excited, some of us are nervous, some of us are scared to death. Father, in a room with this many people, there are many, many burdens that people are carrying. Many different joys about which we are thankful and and many different challenges uh, that we maybe don't seem to have any answers. Father, you know every one of us. Whether we believe in you or not, you know every one of us. You not only know us from, from birth to the grave, but you know from eternity past to eternity future that we would need a Savior. That we are not only a broken people, but we are a rebellious people. We have turned and we have gone our own way. And the result of our not loving you has been disastrous on our relationships with one another. We have in, in so many ways broken this world by our, our sin against you. And yet, Father, you promise to be gracious and merciful and compassionate. So, Lord, as we come to this text this morning, and we are reminded once again how devastating our words can be with one another, we pray that you would give us open hearts and minds to hear your truth. Father, every person in this room, from the one preaching the sermon to to everyone listening, needs this passage to be alive in our hearts and minds. Not just that we would, we would live differently, but that there would be a health within this community that would, that would nourish it, that would feed it, that would grow it, because we're honoring you in the way we seek to care for one another. Lord Jesus, clearly I have failed at that in my own life this week. And so I pray that you would not uh, have me be the center of this. My opinions, my words are no more than any other person's. They're just not that important. It is your eternal word for which we have come to feed and to be nourished, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would teach us. Forgive me my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to understand and to know this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's get right to it. Even though it may not appear this way, Jesus is not saying we are not to judge. Jesus is actually saying something very different, so let me give you that to you in the sermon in a sentence. What Jesus is saying to us this morning is that godly judgment is vital to the spiritual health of the kingdom of God. That, that godly judgment, and we're going, to, we're going to see his definition of that this morning. We don't, we don't get to pick that out and, and fill in the blank any way we want to. We're going to see that Jesus teaches us that a godly judgment is actually vital to our spiritual health in our little corner of the kingdom of God. We continue to use Psalm 8611 as a foundation and that we want God to teach us his way because we want to have an undivided heart in these things. And, and therein lies the challenge because day in and day out as a disciple, we go back and forth. We're challenged every day with having a divided heart. We're challenged every day with uh, thinking the way the world wants us to think and, and thinking the way the Spirit of God and the Word of God teach us to think. And so it's good for us to come to this passage and be challenged by it this morning. Uh, I want to suggest this morning that Jesus, in these six verses, is calling us to account for three different sins. He's challenging us to look at our own hearts, to look at our own lives, and see what may, may lie there when it comes to this question of judgment, when it comes to this question of uh, discerning right and wrong in one another's lives. 
So the first of these three sins that I want, to, I want us to look at this morning is the sin of self-righteous arrogance. Let's go back to the first four verses. Let me read those for you again. Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Some of you may have a translation that says plank. And, and that's the idea there, that, it, that it's not like just a little chip of wood, but it literally renders you completely, uh, completely blind to see uh, what is out there. Jesus is clearly using a bit of satire uh, in his words here this morning because the sin of self-righteous arrogance can run rampant among Jesus' disciples, which is ironic because we follow a guy who calls us to be humble. We follow a guy who calls us to be gentle and compassionate and kind, and yet this, this self-righteous arrogance can filter into our lives. The problem with this is threefold. The first is that this attitude produces a harsh criticism. Notice the, the tone, especially in first, excuse me, in the second verse. The judgment with which you pronounce. Uh, the notion here is of one sitting uh, on, on the bench as the judge, as, as the final arbiter of the case, as the one who has the authority to render the decision. And there's, a, there's an arrogance, there's a smugness, there's a sense of, of superiority or conceit that Jesus is addressing in these words. Michael Green, uh, the commentator on Matthew's gospel, has said this. He calls it a carping criticism that Jesus is calling out in our lives, that we, uh, that we take the role upon ourselves to have this critical spirit. But it is also a, a spirit of smugness and, and of conceit, as if we were better than others. That's really what Jesus is after this morning. I, I had a friend years ago, I'm going way back, probably at least 20 years, uh, and this friend of mine had a serious problem with any Christian that would just even take one drink of alcohol. Uh, if they were just having one beer, if they were drinking in moderation and then some, this person would become so upset, uh, they would literally lose their cool. They would literally just be so enraged and so angry that they, they almost couldn't put two words together. And I think it's that attitude that Jesus is talking about. When we look at others, when we examine their lives, whether it be from a distance or close up, and our response is one of harsh criticism. Jesus says you might want to check that at the door. The second problem with the sin of self-righteousness and arrogance is that it assumes the place of God. Look at it, verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. In other words, there's someone over you. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There's someone else who actually does have the final authority. Jesus is saying to you and me this morning, we're not the final arbiters. We are not the ones who ultimately sit in judgment. And to, to take on that attitude, to take on that tone, assumes the place of God. I elevate my standing to, to be the final word on your life. And Jesus is speaking against it. He's saying there is one who judges in that level, and it is not you. Listen to D.A. Carson's comment about this passage. The rigor of the disciples' commitment to God's kingdom and the righteousness demanded of them do not authorize them to adopt 
a judgmental attitude. Those who judge like this will in turn be judged not by men, but by God. The disciple who takes it upon himself to be the judge of what another does usurps the place of God and therefore becomes answerable to him. And then he rewrites the verse just a little bit to to help make the point. Do not assume the place of God by deciding you have the right to stand in judgment overall. Do not do it, I say, in order to avoid being called to account by God whose place you usurp. It's a strong warning by Jesus to not take on this arrogant, self-righteous idea of judging others. But then maybe even most importantly, not only does this show an attitude that is harsh, not only does it assume the place of God, but it intentionally, it intentionally ignores my sin. Look at verse 4. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own? Think about this for just a second. Jesus is is bordering on the absurd here when he's trying to make this point. For me to ignore my sin while pointing out yours is ridiculous. It makes absolutely no sense. How can we judge others as if we were in no need of the cross of Christ? One of the reasons why this cross is up here every Sunday is to remind us of our need of the mercy of God because we've offended God. Because every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us has broken God's law. If you don't think you're a sinner, ask the people who know you best. Whether you believe in God or not is is really not the point. If you think you're perfect, just if you're married, ask your spouse. And if you've been married more than 10 minutes, you'll have a good answer. You'll have an honest answer, and it ain't going to be pretty. Anybody that thinks that they're perfect and, and never harms another person is just not rowing with both oars in the, in the water, so to speak. And Jesus says, when you judge in this manner, you are intentionally playing the ostrich with your own sin. You're simply burying your head in the sand. How dare you do that? How dare you ignore the sins for which I must go to the cross? to purchase your salvation. Self-righteous judgment has no place in the disciples' life because it cripples the community and we look like fools to the world. Well, if that's the case, is Jesus saying that there's no room for correction within his body, within the community? Is, is it that, that you can never speak to me about issues in my life that you see that need addressing? Or I'm never to speak to you about things in your life that perhaps have, have gone a little bit off track? Is there no room for correction in the body of Christ? And I think this passage points out clearly that's not the case. Jesus not only speaks to the sin of self-righteous arrogance, but he also speaks to the sin of indifference. Look at verse 5 with me. And this is a little more indirect, but it's here if we look carefully. Jesus gives us a directive. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then do what? Sit quietly and and leave everybody else alone? No. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Look at the language Jesus uses here. Look at it carefully. Jesus uses familial language. He talks about the brother. He talks about this in terms of of family being responsible for one another. Jesus never says that we're not to help our brother or our sister with the speck that is in their eye, but rather 
he gives us a, a change in tone and a change in attitude that must be seen by disciples of Jesus if we're going to live in a spiritually healthy way and we're going to be a witness for the world to his glory. By putting it in the context of the family, Jesus says we are responsible for one another. You can ignore everybody else, but you can't ignore your brother or your sister. The, 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 the family bloodline is most important. And so Jesus puts it in context with a family, and it says you're responsible for one another, but also in a family. Don't you want the best for your siblings? I mean, my brother could kind of punch me, but nobody else could, right? You know, I, I could tease my sister, but I didn't want any other guys teasing my sister. That wasn't going to happen. You take care of your family, and you want what is best for them. You cannot become detached. You, you cannot become inactive, or the family will be, well, the word we use today is the family will be dysfunctional. Whenever you get an email from me, or whenever you get a letter from me, whenever you get a correspondence from Green Tree Community Church that I am composing, it always starts the same way. Dear GTCC Spiritual Family. Anybody ever noticed that? Anybody seen that? You've paid a little bit of attention? Okay, well, the next time you see it, you'll recognize it. And you might have looked at that in the past and go, oh, isn't that sweet? Isn't that nice? Tom's calling us a family. Well, it might be sweet and it might be nice. That's not my intention. (laughs) My intention is very, very serious. My intention is that we remember our responsibility to one another. My intention is that we remember that we're supposed to be not harshly criticizing one another. There's no room for that. We're to be wanting the best for one another. That we're caring about our brother, that we're caring about our sister. That there isn't anything that we won't do to help a brother or sister because that's the relationship that God has put us in through his grace and through his mercy. And God forbid that we would have the sin of indifference where we simply say, I just don't care. So in this family context, what is the appropriate way to go about helping one another when some correction is needed? Well, Jesus sets it up for us in verse 5. What's, what do we do? First, take the log out of your own eye. Jesus is calling us to self-examining humility. Jesus is calling us to acknowledge our own sin. Jesus is calling me to repent of my sin, to ask forgiveness from God, and to ask forgiveness from those whom I have offended first and foremost. The first step in the pathway of correction is stopping and saying, wait a minute, what's in my life? If I see a speck of dust in your eye, so to speak, before I engage in that process, I have to say, Lord, show me my sin. Because when God is faithful to do that, I can tell you what happens in my life, and I can tell you what happens in your life. You become broken over your sin. You become sorrowful over your sin. You go, God, I can't believe I did that again. Is that as far down the road as I am? Which, what, it drives you to repentance. It drives you to seek the forgiveness of God once again. It brings you to humility. It brings you to a beautiful place. It brings you to a, excuse me, to a place of realizing how much you need a Savior. And how if Christ hasn't done what he's done on the cross, then above everybody else, you're the one that's lost. If a brother or sister is going to correct me, I want them to come from that place. If I'm going to correct the brother or sister, I need to come from that place. And Jesus is calling us to examine ourselves, 
so that we can what? What does he say? Take the log out of your own eye and then what? You will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now I can see clearly to do what? To help a brother or sister. You ever gotten something stuck in your eye? You ever got a little something in, in, in your eye? Cindy wears contacts, and every once in a while, the contacts are so much better these days, but every once in a while, early on, we were dating, and we were early on in our marriage, she would get something behind her contact, and it was like the most miserable writhing experience. She just needed some help, whether it's you know, taking a dropper and putting some drops in there, or just how can, I, how can I help you get the speck out of your eye? It's this little teeny tiny thing that's absolutely, it's just killing you. And now I can help with that. Now I can see clearly to do what? To serve you. To come to you with an attitude of wanting to help you. To come with an attitude of wanting to look out for you as a brother or as a sister in Christ. About a week and a half ago, I was, I was working on a, on a relational situation uh, with a longtime friend, and I was kind of grousing about it, and I was kind of frustrated about it because uh, this friend is, is going through a transition period in his life, and, and he's, he's really having a hard time with it. And I was just like, you know, come on, he, he's got to get past this. He's got he's to work past this. And a brother of mine heard me saying this. And uh, actually not a brother at Green Tree, but a, but a brother in the Lord. And he said, hey, can I ask you a quick question? I said, sure. He said, when did this come all about you? You're not the guy going through the transition. You're not the guy who knows what he feels right now. You're not the guy that's scared because you don't know what's next. How about you cut your brother a little bit of slack and not make it all about you? And I think years in the past, I would have maybe said, well, I'm done with you. <laughs> right? But there's just in that moment, God gave me the grace to turn him and say, thanks. Man, was I way off base there. The help that comes if we avoid the sin of indifference, if we allow ourselves to look at our own lives first and then engage with one another in humility and in care. Spiritual families with humble and honest care for one another will grow and thrive together. We must avoid the sin of self-righteous arrogance. We must also avoid the sin of indifference. But lastly, we must also avoid the sin of contempt. Look at this odd verse, verse 6. Jesus says, Do not give the dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Where on earth did that come from? And what is Jesus talking about? Well, actually, he's staying in the same vein. He's talking about correction uh, within the broader Christian community. He's talking about looking out for one another. But now he's going to shine the focus on the person that is receiving the correction. Now he's going to shine the light on the one who actually is doing something wrong, and that sin is being pointed out to them, and he is noticing and he's calling out a prideful and unteachable spirit. The question in the passage, there are a couple of questions. First is, what is it that is holy, and what are these pearls uh, that, that, that may be thrown before pigs? Well, both of them mean the same thing. They're interchangeable. It's not they're two different things. They both metaphorically represent a humble invitation to the kingdom of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. They both represent me being shown my sin and my need for repentance and the promise of forgiveness that is in Christ. 
It's the confrontation of the gospel. It is a loving confrontation. When, when you come to Christ, if you remember when you were brought to salvation, when God opened your eyes, what was one of the first things you realized? You realized you needed a Savior. You realized that you were broken. You realized that you were rebellious. You saw your sin, maybe for the first time in a new light as you'd never seen it before, but right behind that, immediately following that, sorry, Ashley knocked over your coffee cup, immediately after that, what did you hear? There's forgiveness through the cross. You heard the good news of the gospel, and it brought a joy. It brought new life to your bones. He said, I can be forgiven. I can be set free. That message is holy. Those are the pearls of the gospel. And we need to understand Jesus' teaching that that is to which he is speaking. What he is addressing is the response to that invitation. What he's saying is what happens when you go to, a, to someone who seems to be a brother, seems to be a sister, and you say, we need to apply the gospel to this situation. Because that's what you're saying when you confront someone. You're not coming to someone and saying, again, arrogantly or self-righteously, let me show you how to be more like me right? That's not what we're doing. We're coming in humility. We're coming in in gentleness. We're not being indifferent. We're not saying, well, that's their problem. I'm not going to worry about it. We're coming with the gospel, and we're laying it at another person's feet and saying, we need you to apply the gospel in this specific situation because it seems that, that this has gotten away from you, and you're ignoring that. And Jesus looks at a response that is actually a violent response to that. He's looking at a response of, of deflection, perhaps, where uh, this, this wonderful notion, who are you to judge, right? What, what about you? H- haven't you sinned it sometime? Who are you to tell me my problem? But then it escalates and it, and it becomes indignant. How dare you challenge me? Who do you think you are? And it can even turn violent either in words or in deeds, There's a rage burning within this person that literally they're going to go on the attack in order to defend themselves from having to admit that they are a sinner. My wife grew up with a stepfather who fits that perfectly. If you met him on the outside, he looked like a wonderful Christian man. But God forbid that anybody would ever point out any sin to him. He literally would become abusive in word and in deed. And Jesus uses this metaphor, not mistakenly, but very directly. Because the the wild dogs, these are not like a nice little pretty golden lab or or whatever kind of dog you might have at home that's a wonderful pet. He's talking about wild dogs. Talking about about wild pigs who will will turn and and be carnivorous and attack you and seek to kill you. The metaphor is, is apt and appropriate for this teaching, Jesus says, when you come up to that person, when you come against that kind of anger and that kind of hatred, a spiritual family can be decimated by that kind of bullying. And Jesus says, don't pursue this one. Simply leave them to God. That's a very sobering thought, brothers and sisters. Years ago, some of you will remember uh, and I've used this example before once or twice, Mark and Wendy Swan. Mark was a, an assistant pastor here at Green Tree. Uh, right after he finished seminary, he, they worked with us for about, I think, about four years. And uh, Mark told me one day, he said, you know, when I really get stubborn and Wendy's trying to show me something and I won't listen, and she's trying to point it out to me and I just refuse to hear it, she finally simply folds her hands and she says, Mark, I give you to God. 
Try that sometime with your spouse. I started shaking. Now the hairs on the back of my neck were standing up. And I'm like, I got to keep Wendy away from Cindy because this could really, this could be, and with devastating results, this could be awful. But think about someone saying, you're so stubborn. You're so willfully refusing to listen to a message of love that the only recourse my Lord gives me is to give you to God and to not engage on this level. The sin of contempt can be just as damaging to a spiritual family as the sin of indifference or the sin of self-righteous arrogance. This is a hard teaching. It's hard teaching on a couple different levels. One, because we live in a society that has so misconstrued the word tolerance that I can't even begin to unpack that. We're pressured from every side to ignore the sin in our lives and to ignore the sin in the lives of our brothers and sisters. And Jesus calls us to a radically different standard, and it is not an easy standard to follow. One of the things I love about the Sermon on the Mount is it's right there for us, and yet we'll never quite get there. This is a challenge that will be a lifelong challenge. It's a challenge also because it calls for brutal honesty. It calls for me to find myself in this passage. The same calls for you this morning if you're a disciple of Jesus. As we come to our Lord's table, which is the epitome of humility and grace and mercy, we must first stop and ask ourselves, where is my sin? Where is my brokenness? And what I would like for all of us to consider this morning before we come to the Lord's table is the application of this text is find ourselves in the passage. Maybe I've been the one who's been really self-righteous and and I've judged others uh, way too harshly while ignoring my own sin. Maybe that describes you this morning. Maybe I haven't cared enough to engage with a brother or sister who needs help because I'm too worried about my own well-being. I've made it about me. You know, if I say something, they're just going to mad at me, so I'm not going to bother. Well, then I go back to my brother's comment to me earlier, who made it about you? <laughs> Maybe that's my sin this morning, is indifference. Or perhaps I've been unwilling to receive correction. I've been unwilling to hear the loving words of the gospel. I'm going to die on the hill of, of self-righteousness in a sense. I'm going to defend my position that nobody can tell me I'm wrong. We need to find ourselves in the passage this morning. We began the worship service with one of the verses that was read to us was, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, we come to receive his communion. Let's consider the message of this gospel for ourselves first, but let's also remember this. This passage is vitally important to the spiritual help of this spiritual family. If we do not love one another well, this church will not be a witness for the Lord Jesus. So it's vitally important for you. It's vitally important for me, but it's vitally important for the people on either side of us. So as we come to the Lord's table, let's repent of our own sin and let's pray that God would give us the willing hearts and the understanding of his word and the power of the Holy Spirit that we would live in a way that nurtures and cares for and gives spiritual life to this family. Will you pray with me? I'm going to begin our prayer time just by giving you a moment, and you can look up at the screen if you need to to be reminded of the three, three thoughts there. But let's just take a moment for silent prayer, asking that God would show us our own sin, confessing that, repenting of it, and then asking that God would guard and protect Green Tree in this area.